Hi, you guys. This is part two of family systems and energetics. And I want to pull in here for deepening our learning and expanding our own connections to race and to race relations. So there's this article, if you go to dismantlingracism.org from Tema Oken, and it, well, it's actually, um, she's often credited, but it's also, uh, she also worked with a man named Kenneth Jones and then listed for all of the people who helped with this are probably 20 different um, authors, teachers, writers, researchers, as well as the work of Grassroots Leadership, Equity Institute, the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond, Challenging White Supremacy Workshop, Lily Allen Institute, um, and there's one other, Institute for Survival and Beyond, which has done extensive research in white supremacy culture. So basically what Tema did was pull this together. And I have seen this over for a few years now. Um, different people in our community sent, sent it to me. We used it um, a little bit in AU at one of the classes that um, I teach. Our the colleagues really brought this up. And so I think it's really important to listen to and understand these concepts of characteristics of white supremacy culture, supremacy culture. And in this context, they're talking about dismantling racism in organizations and at work. But I think the same thing applies to life, home, how we are treating and talking to ourselves, our children our own business, our own work. And I really think it is at the root of so much of the fear and shame and tension and discomfort in our relationships. Um, and I'm talking about unhealthy discomfort, not healthy discomfort. So let's dive right in. This is a list of characteristics of white supremacy culture that show up in our organizations. Culture is powerful precisely because it's so present and at the same time, so very difficult to name or identify. So then it goes on to list a bunch. I'm only going to go over a few today because honestly, you guys, this is so in-depth. I want you to go to the website, print it out, um, journal with it, highlight it, keep it close. I've had this one copy in my little like daily planner notebook journal for well over a year. And I keep going back to it and keep getting new insights. So this is a really good little study guide um, to build on the family systems and relationships that we've been talking about. So the first one, the first one that is highlighted is perfectionism as being part of white supremacy culture. And we know, I know this to be true for so many women in the Lola community. Um, we don't have a ton of men in Lola community, so I don't want to, you know, it's hard for me to say and men, but I know that I have, um, that my husband has a lot of perfectionist tendencies and some of the men that I've had relationship with in Lola have expressed and told me perfectionism is something that they struggle with. So the first one that comes up is um, is about your own quality of work and 
little appreciation expressed among people for the work that others are doing, um, not understanding the time, little time, energy, or money put into reflection or identifying lessons learned that can improve practice. So in other words, little or no learning from mistakes. So it's not the reflection. It's like with this type, with these characteristics, there's very little space for integration, learning, and reflection. So what I love about this document is that what it does is it gives the characteristics. So I just told you perfectionism, and then it gives some points, some bullet points as to how it shows up. And then it gives some antidotes. So I'm going to focus today on giving you just a handful of the characteristics, the um, bullet points and some of the antidotes. So the antidotes for perfectionism develop a culture of appreciation where the organization, and in this case, the organization is your home. I think of our homes, our relationships to ourselves and others as a CEO role. I do not see that leadership as any different than what we have to do at home if you are running a business it's, or an organization or working within one. So it's another system. And we have to be able to think about our relationships in terms of systems. So this whole idea of develop a culture of appreciation in your home, where the home and the rhythm of the home takes time to make sure that people's work, you know, and efforts are appreciated. So where people's strengths are appreciated, develop a learning organization or home where it's expected that everyone will make mistakes and those mistakes offer opportunities for learning. And then it goes on to give so much more again, um, I don't want this podcast to be so long, but every line in this document is so valuable, especially if you reframe it to your own home, your own self-talk and your own relationships. Next up is sense of urgency. This is huge, you guys. A continued sense of urgency that makes it difficult to take time to be inclusive. Um, it makes it difficult to have thoughtful decision-making, to think long-term, to consider consequences or learn from mistakes, right? Um, frequently results in sacrificing potential allies for quick or high visible results. So in that case, it's the same thing where like, if you think of the framework of the sense of urgency that you have in your relationship, are you giving time to process, rest, and digest your emotions, what's happened throughout the day? Are you jumping from one thing to the next? Are you expecting too much out of people when they've had a tough day or just running around the house, you know, yelling off things for other people to do without real depth? The antidote for this is to have more realistic work plans. And I would say more real realistic home flows, more realistic family conversations, family meetings, leadership, which understands that things take longer than anyone expects. I mean, this is so huge. For years, I've coached women on planning and calendars and taking more out of the day because they're just packing it in and it's making them feel overwhelmed and sick and not enjoying their life. So this sense of urgency, um, you know, the antidote giving us some space so that, that, that things can take a little bit longer. It just feels so different. It feels so much more kind and compassionate to the family when we, you know, say, okay, this weekend, let's do these two things. And the rest of the time people can kind of have their own space to deep, to just unwind. Um, moving on defensiveness. Okay. So the structure is set up 
and much energy spent trying to prevent abuse and protect power as it exists rather than to facilitate the best out of each person or clarify who has power and how they're expected to use it. So, you know, again, we have to treat our children, our teens, these relationships that we're in with respect and It's not, you know, when you grow up and you sort of hear like, it's my way or the highway. I just don't think that's true. I think we have to pause and listen to all the members of the community that you're living in, in your home. And part of that is to be able to sit down and take a break and listen to each other. So we had a recent incident in terms of this, where one of the parents, um, was just kind of adamant about something, a choice that the family had made and did not pause to stop and listen to the, what the child was saying, like why they didn't want that. And once the parent did, you know, there was a deeper understanding of what the underlying cause was, but the initial response was so defensive and was so reactive and was so, no, we're not doing that. No, we're not doing that without a pause and a listen. And I think our young people deserve us, deserve the pause and the listen. And we have an opportunity to change our mind and to really think through does this make sense? You know, there's that whole thing about pick your battles, but what if it's not about battling? What if it's about listening? So I think defensiveness, really the antidote is, is really this, this particular antidote says, understand the link between defensiveness and fear of losing power, (laughs) losing face, losing comfort, losing, losing privilege. So again, this document is talking about white supremacy culture in the workplace. And I'm talking, I'm trying to bring it home to white supremacy culture in your relationships and why it's hurts, why it hurts and why people are suffering because of these characteristics at a deeper level. So the defensiveness, if you just are open-minded and you're able to be flexible in the mind, there isn't a right way and people can change their mind. And then we don't have to have an oppressive culture in the house. Next is quantity, sorry, quality over quantity. Again, this is another thing, you know, when we're just shouting off to our kiddos about the homework or all the list of things to do, you know, it just really takes away the deeper connection. Um, worship of the written word. So this is a huge one that again is part of how education is linked to what we prioritize as knowledge or intelligence. And I have a neurodiverse learner and I will tell you that her brilliance will not come through with the worship, with the written word. Her ideas are phenomenal. Her writing, her stories are beyond, beyond. And it will never come through, at least at this point, I don't want to say never, but at this point, it's not coming through because of how she's, how she's able to articulate it on the page in proper quote unquote, um, English. Uh, but we have tools to help support her with that. So the thing is, is like, can we pull the strength out of the child, out of the learner, out of the relationship and look for what, you know, we call an education authentic assessment. So how do we open and broaden these idea, the idea of intelligence beyond just the written word as the only way. And really um, interesting, creative, progressive schools are onto this, but it hasn't really translated into homes and workplaces and organizations. 
Um, next is only one right way. I mean, I really think that builds on perfectionism and, you know, we've all had a boss who's like, this is how it goes. Or we've all had a parent who is like, this is how it goes. And just really does not take into consideration the way other people's other people learn, think, breathe, move, what their emotions, what their day was like. And I think we need to have more space for that. I think there's lots of ways to do things. And by, by insisting that there's only one way we are perpetuating this, this culture. Um, next up is, um, paternalism, which is decision-making is clear to those with power and unclear to those without it. And that's a really old paradigm for raising your family and raising humans in the world. And I work with college kids. If you do not uh, give them independence and autonomy, they don't know how to handle the difficulties of life and the challenges. They don't have resilience to be able to ask, well, what do you think about this? Don't just articulate or spit back out at me what you read. What do you think about that? What's the deeper dive? And if you know, there's only one decision maker in the family and you know what's best and then you never get input from the rest of your team, family, organization, relationships, it's just really toxic. Um, and it really, it really, let's, let's get to the bottom of that. It really takes away the power and the sovereignty of the, of the other person. And it's kind of like that saying like, you're not the boss of me. Like, that's how I feel about it. Like I'm not the boss of Sailor and Milo. I'm a guide. I'm a facilitator. I'm a sub leader in our home. I'm a visionary. I'm a creative but I'm not the boss of them. They have their own soul's path and their own soul's journey. And my journey is to help them pull that out. Next one is either or. So that's the binary. That's the good, bad, right or wrong. That's only being able to see things in black and white, not seeing the gray, not seeing all of the other steps in between the good and the bad. Um, this is also very closely linked to perfectionism, makes it really difficult for people to make mistakes. If you are like this, it makes people around you feel afraid because of that energy. What we talked about in part one, energy is energy and emotions are contagious. And so if you are feeling that way about yourself, the people in your family are feeling that as well. Um, it's really important for a growth mindset that to notice when people use either or language and to, and to really help them see it so they can come up with more alternatives, more creative problem solving. Notice when people are simplifying complex issues. So that's, again, another part of the either or being able to take the time for the nuance and the complexity is such a big part of moving beyond um, just the binary norms. Um, power hoarding, fear of open conflict. Um, our young people, I'm moving past power hoarding because I just want to tap on the rest of these and I'm mindful of time. Um, fear of open conflict is huge. I think we have to establish that in our families. Um, you know, having or in our relationships, again, conversations with people, yes, it might be uncomfortable, having courageous conversations, being able to breathe through them, being able to speak clearly for what you need and what needs, you know, your unfulfilled needs and what needs to be met. Um, and being able to build that resilience around, um, you know, lots of lots of us grew up in homes where the conflict was so passive aggressive or overly aggressive, especially if there was abuse or alcoholism. 
um, or mental illness. And so the fear of open conflict, being able to, to normalize, right? We use that word so much in Lola, normalize, normalize this experience. Next is individualism. And this is what I've been starting to think about in terms of me focused versus we focused. So part of this, this white supremacy culture is the me focused and turning it outward to we focused is a more feminine approach in the way that we think of community. And so it's about learning how to work together as a team, not just doing it for them. So you ever tell your kids or your spouse to do something around the house and they don't do it, quote unquote, right? So then you go ahead and just do it for them. That really takes away the power of learning how to work in a team. Um, Teamwork as an important value in your community, which is your family, because the truth is you are not on your own you are totally interconnected cellularly with all of these relationships you're having energetically, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And it's important to learn how to work with your systems and your energetics and your emotions together because you are going, you need each other. We all need the, our people, these people that we're in relationship with that we care about. And so it's not helpful to just be me focused because then when you know someone offers you this whole idea of think of there's a Rob Bell book called Zim Sim the art of giving and receiving love and marriage it's such a beautiful little gem because it gives all these pictures I actually want to do a book um, circle on it for Lola because it gives all these really beautiful simple simple pictures the whole book is so short and so simple around you know, if you're in whatever relationship or if you're giving, do you also receive? So do you make the plans for date night one night? And then he makes the plans for date night one night, or she makes the plans. Do you allow your kids to, um, ask you how your day was when you ask how their day was like this whole idea of like back and forth of energetics at different times where if you get sick, someone says, can I bring you soup? You say, yes, thank you. And then they get sick and you say, can I bring you soup? And they say, yes, thank you. Like, that you're not operating in isolation, that you're able to accept and give help. It's so energizing. And so individualism is a, is really cuts you off from that. It's very, very toxic for your relationships because it can't, that energy can't be met. And lots of times in relationships, someone is giving too much. And someone is taking too much. And once you can kind of establish that, then you guys together with your little soul contract, um, as I like to talk about, uh, the soul contract can come back into alignment. But first, you have to see what's going on behind the scenes in order to bring it back into alignment. Okay, last few. I'm the only one that builds on the me-focused versus we focused and moving more towards the we as the communal, the family, the neighborhood, the relationship. Um, Next one is progress is bigger and more. So it's always about how much money did you make this month? Did you make more next month? How many friends did you make? Did you have at school? Did you make more this year? It's always where the progress is about getting bigger rather than deeper. So just be on the lookout for that, especially like an example in the family with kids would be, oh, they got all B's. And then you say, how about next semester you get all A's? Like when is enough enough? When do you, when can we be like, wow, you got all B's. Um, now you have more time for singing, you know, cause you don't have to study so much again next semester or whatever. Like 
not about always going more and more. The story I always give is when I had two studios for a little while and people would ask me, when was I going to have, you know, when I had one, they said, when are you going to have two? When I had two, they said, when are you going to have three? <laughs> and once I made, you know, $2,500 that I was like, well, when am I going to make $20,000? Once I made $20,000, when was I going to make when not me personally, but when was the studio revenue going to be $200,000? When was it going to be 500? It just never ends. And it, it, you know, the conversation was never around going deeper or how is it working with your life or all of that, you know? So, um, those are the questions that are much more interesting for our relationships. Okay. Objectivity, right to comfort are the last two. And again, the, the right to comfort. So understanding, okay. So let me back up the belief that those with power have a right to emotional and psychological comfort, another aspect of valuing logic over emotion. And then the antidote, understanding that discomfort is at the root of all growth and learning. Welcome it as much as you can. So that's it. I mean, that right there on the whole idea of understanding discomforts at the root of all growth and learning, that means in your family system, that means if you're looking at your own racial justice lens and, and, and working towards dismantling racism, that means at work as you're working, thinking about your own leadership in your marriage, in your relationship with your family members. I mean, that what is happening if, if we have a relationship that has not had any discomfort in a long time, is it growing? Are you learning together? Um, and then how can you use these other characteristics, like not being defensive and not doing it one way and, you know, kind of taking all the characteristics and looking at the antidotes and really integrating them into your daily life. So I love this document. I think it is so incredibly relevant and I'm really excited about, um, hearing from you guys on this. Like, how did this land for you? Are you able to see these connections? What are you excited about bringing into your home? Um, I'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and download the document on dismantlingracism.org um, and let me know. All right. May you be happy. May you be safe. May you be healthy. May you live with ease.